welcome to Pacific Mammal Research's Marine Mammal Highlight Series. We are a research and education nonprofit studying marine mammals in the Salish Sea off Washington State. In these podcast episodes, you will learn about different marine mammals as we discuss the interesting facts about each species and debate which one we think is the best. Of course, we think all marine mammals are awesome. This is just our way to geek out, share some information, and have some fun. We hope you enjoy the series, and if you want to hear about a particular marine mammal, let us know in the comments. And without further ado. Okay, so we are here today. We're um, doing our marine mammal highlights. So we're going to talk about three different marine mammals and uh, discuss what's cool about them and why we like them and maybe decide which one maybe is the best one or not. Um, so I'm Dr. Cindy Ellisler, the research director for Pacific Mammal Research. And I'm Kat McKeever. I'm the research assistant for Pacific Mammal Research. And I'm Trevor Deary, and I'm their intern for the summer and the spring. <laughs> awesome intern. All right, so number we one intern right now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we um, so we have chosen uh, three different marine mammals. So I chose the narwhal, and Kat, you chose. I chose the beluga. And Trevor, you chose. I chose the humpback whale. Humpback whale. So we got the narwhal versus the beluga versus the humpback whale. So I guess I'll kind of start. We'll just each give our uh, little synopsis of our animal and we'll do some discussion at the end we'll kind of discuss all three of them and see see who comes out on top so um the narwhal is awesome because it has a giant horn which is awesome i mean come on it's up, to 10, it's, up to, it's up to 10 feet long i mean how, how can you go bad with that but what the cool really cool part of the uh, narwhal is that the unicorn myth um because unicorns aren't real um don't, <laughs> warning don't let your kids listen right. to this if you believe in unicorns um actually came from that um from the narwhal so the um uh the whalers that came over from europe basically got some of these horns after killing whales and then went back and had these really tall tales about what creature it came from so they're like uh yeah it's a horse with a really big horn and stuff <laughs> I mean, that's more plausible than a whale, honestly, I think. I was going to say, like, that actually kind of weirdly makes more sense than, like, oh, it came from a sea creature. It's like, what? Right. It's actually, yeah, like, even though it's a tall tail, it's more out. believable. <laughs> a lot of people are, like, just finding out that narwhals actually exist, too. <laughs> oh, that's true. No, yeah. like, there's, a lot of people are like, no, that's not real. That's not a real thing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people thought it was Photoshopped for, like, right. years. They're like, no, oh, it's like, yeah. one of those weird things with, like, the mega shark or whatever. It's like, ah, it's not a real thing. Yeah. I had a student actually come up, they're like, no, that's real. I'm like, yeah, no, seriously, <laughs> they exist. <laughs> Um, but what's really cool about it, and you know what, we don't know a lot about these guys because they live in the Arctic and um, it's basically dark half, half the year and covered in ice in half the year. So not exactly the greatest place to go do field research. Um, so they've done the most research, honestly, on the tusk because it's actually a tusk. It's not a horn. It is a tooth, which is really weird. Um, and so they've done a lot about that and what they've recently found out, which is, I thought was so cool when I learned this, um, is that it's an inside out tooth. So the, the thing has always been like, well, why do they have these giant horns? People are like, oh, it's for foraging or the, actually they sword fight, the males sword fight for the females. Cause it's all, they're only found on males. Only about 15% of females have it. So now it's cool actually as that quite a high be. percentage. Like if you think yeah. about it, that's actually quite a high percentage of females that randomly have it. Yeah. Yeah. Class. They have it. Yeah. It's interesting. Odd, yeah. I'm not sure why they happened to have them. I don't know. Um, but you know, as cool as it would be to be see jousting narwhals, it's not really what they do. <laughs> um, 
Um, and then also too, you think about like they, they spear their prey. How are they going to get the prey off the horn? And their tiny little flippers. <laughs> right, like they slide it onto the ice and then right. like scoop up onto the ice somehow. Like and... a shish kebab. Like, no. Um, so what they actually found out is that instead of how our teeth are, have the hard enamel on the outside and the soft stuff on the inside, it's actually switched. So they have the soft stuff on the outside and the hard stuff on the inside and it's filled with tiny little, uh, mil 10, like 10 million, something like that, um, nerve endings and hmm. tiny, tiny holes. So they actually can sense chemical changes in the seawater. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. So they do think that uh, it's for that. So they might be able to find better prey. They might be able to find a female that's ready to want to have a baby, things like that. Um, and it may be like, yeah, so the male, it may be also be a sexual selection thing because, well, the one who has the biggest tusk has the best way of finding food and thus would be the better male to mate with kind of thing. Right. Um, but uh, they did, they have seen them actually stun prey with the tusk, though. I was going to say, I've seen that video, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty cool. Um, and in the blog post that we have for this, they, I have a link to that, to that video. Um, so, and they actually rub tusks together. So it's, it, it's a multifunctional tool, you know. Um, well, like any kind of sense organ, I guess, like kind of right. like an elephant's trunk or something, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It can do a gotcha. lot of different things. Um, right. So it's pretty cool. So we don't know a lot more about them besides the really cool tusk, but it, like I said, it can get up to 10 feet long. So it's pretty impressive. Oh, and it always grows straight, which is the only, you think about other tusks, they all curve. Right. Mm -hmm. But this tusk grows straight. But it spirals, right? But it spirals, but that's why it grows straight. Because no matter if it's more on one side or less on the other side as it grows, because it grows like a tooth, because it is one, um, because the spiral keeps it even and keeps it going straight. Gotcha. You think it's question too with the uh, arctic ice and all that too when they're navigating through all that especially mm -hmm. when they need to breathe in small holes yeah you'd be able to knock some, yeah if the ice isn't too thick for sure right um do we know did the, does the tusk keep growing yes. like is it does it grow Fire exponentially mm -hmm. wow just keeps growing. that's crazy which is why it gets to be like 10 feet long by the time they're <laughs> a bit older and some of them yeah. they, they break off and then that's it and sometimes they grow two because it's actually they actually have two teeth right but right. um, the one, if the other one grows, it's much shorter. Weird. Yeah. Very cool. So narwhals are cool because they're unicorns of the sea. <laughs> okay. So let's let's keep it Arctic uh, and go with the beluga because they're fairly quite similar. They're related, actually. Yeah. So they're part of the same family. Um, the monodontidae. I think that's how you say it. Am I saying yeah. that right? Yeah, monodontidae. Yeah. monodontidae. So technically meaning one tooth, but belugas actually have up to 40 teeth. No. But they're all they, um, up to did, forty. They, no, they, they, they have up to prey. forty. They just don't really use them. So they, oh, yeah. they typically like um, yeah, they suck their their prey up. Which is like the narwhal, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, they do have up potentially up to forty, but they're all the same. So they're they're what they call homodont teeth. So they're all the same. You know, we have multiple different kinds of teeth in our mouth. Right. Um, but yeah, so sticking with the Arctic, like Cindy said, so these guys, again, we don't know a ton about them. There's a lot more research that started to be done on belugas probably in the last like 10 to 15 years um, as technology gets better and as we have more and more access to the Arctic just with, you know, ability to get up there and stay up yeah, there. Yeah, we saw that one lady at the conference that, that's doing yeah, amazing so, yeah, Valerie, photo she's, ID and stuff. Yeah, she's one of the leaders in, um, I'll, and when I put my blog post about belugas up, I'll link to a couple of her articles because that's where a lot of the information actually comes from now um because she's incredible she just goes up there for like multiple months and watches these guys do all <laughs> kinds of stuff it's so cool um but yeah so obviously belugas are most well known for their white coloring which 
is great camouflage if you live up amongst Arctic ice flows, but actually they're not born white. So their their babies are usually kind of like a grayish cream to, and then they kind of go to like a dark gray blue. And then as that, they get older. Yeah, and that's what happens to the narwhals too. Yes. They're born gray yeah. and then they get whiter, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I'm not sure why that would be beneficial for the babies to be darker when in terms of camouflage, I don't know if they'd be more inclined to just be cast as a shadow of the mother. And so if mm. they're looking from, the predators are basically killer whales and polar bears, and then obviously indigenous peoples who hunt them for food and, and right. resources. Right. Um, and those are also linked to a myth. So it's it's been thought that the belugas were where the legend of the mermaid originated. Yep. Yep. Um, the sea canaries. Yep, so they're known as sea canaries and it's because they have one of the most diverse vocal repertoires that we know of. Um, and they can actually even mimic like human speech. So the belugas in the captivity have been um, documented oh, to actually remember. mimic like human words and stuff like that. So they're incredibly so cool. diverse in terms of like the sounds they can produce. Part is because of they have that huge kind of bulbous, what's called the melon. So that's where um, cetaceans actually will create the sound and project the sound out and then receive, well, receive sound through the lower jaw typically. Um, but because theirs is so big and it's flexible, they actually have a lot more ability. It's kind of like when you practice with your vocal cords, right? Your, your, right. The muscles of your vocal cords get more um, strengthened and then you can actually make more sounds. And that actually changes shape when they're vocalizing. So it's like they're making faces because their head moves. Yeah. That was the coolest thing when I, when I see them at captivity and you see them do that and it's like, yeah, whoa, gnarly. So it's, it's one of the reasons that they're obviously like in captivity, they're one of the most beloved animals because they have such a kind of quote unquote human looking face because they can move their face in, in various expressions. Um, but yeah, because of their, um, the way that they would call and they do actually sing um, a lot, then that was, it was thought that some sailors back in the day were hearing belugas and beluga song and they didn't know what they were hearing. And so they would, they believed that that was where one of the legends of the mermaid originated, which is pretty cool. Um, what else about belugas? They can swim backwards, which is possibly the coolest thing ever, which makes <laughs> sense. I mean, if you're again, living in the Arctic and you're inclined you to get trapped by ice, <laughs> right. And that happens a lot. Like they actually get into really, really shallow, areas and then the ice starts to encroach again and so they do literally sometimes have to like back themselves out of a situation otherwise they're going to get stuck there um they're also most well known because they don't have a dorsal fin so again just like the narwhals they actually mm -hmm. don't have a dorsal fin so one of very few cetaceans to not have a dorsal fin at all um they do have a dorsal ridge and it's thought it's it that's kind of um slightly hardened in belugas and it's thought that they might actually use that to help um break up kind of softer ice hmm. when they're surfacing, which is oh, quite interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, what else? Their cervical vertebrae. So the vertebrae in their neck. They're oh, yeah, because they can actually like used. turn. Yeah. Right. They can so turn in most neck. in most cetaceans that's solid, right? So they can only turn their head kind of like this. Um, they can move their head in all directions. So again, it kind of gives them more of that human persona because they can actually move their head more similarly to how we can move our head. And again, makes sense in an ice context where you're, you know, you're maybe trying to get up to get a breath or you're having to maneuver in very, very shallow water. They think it might be partly to do with that and also partly to do with like foraging strategies and stuff and how they would need to move their head in the confines of their environment. Cool. So they're pretty, they're pretty cool actually. And I think it's like up to 40% of their body weight is blubber because obviously they're in <laughs> the high arctic. So it's like, <laughs> gotta stay warm. Um, I think it's one of those things where the more extreme environments, you get more crazy looking things. Right. In, in, right. in general. So yeah. you're going to have to have some adaptations to live in Arctic waters. 
Exactly. And just as a side note too, the name Beluga, which probably a lot of people already know, but the name Beluga, I'm not going to butcher the Russian word, but it comes from a Russian word that means white. <laughs> <laughs> right. The, um, I was going to bring this up uh, to speaking of names. Uh, Nar Narhaval. I was going to say, the, where did Narwhal come from? Yeah. So Narwhal is, it's Norse. So it's N-A-R and then H-V-A-L. And this is really um, kind of creepy. Means corpse whale. Yeah, really? because um, because they the the Norse sailors thought that that resembled the skin of a drowned sailor. That's I think dark. they're prettier than that. But <laughs> I was gonna say I don't think I've seen any dead sailors, but I'd say a narwhal is actually pretty attractive. So I don't know. Yeah, so I'm not <laughs> sure about that. And then they have another one. They have a um a Inuit name, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce that because I will not do it well. But it starts with a, they both start with Q's. It's like Kuli Kuiag Kornaktuak means one that points to the sky because they stick their oh, horn cool. up, up and straight in, in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah and then they cool. have, of course, their scientific name is Mono, Monodon Monoceros, which means one tooth, one horn in Greek. So it's kind of cool. They have like three different names that all have to do with, you know, stuff about makes, them. Makes yeah, sense. <laughs> they have a so, pretty distinguishing feature, you know, that helps. A little helps bit. Helps with naming. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we'll move on now to <clears throat> the uh, humpback, which spends some time up close to the Arctic, but just not year-round like our guys do. That's kind of why I like them a lot, just based on their life history, just based on the amount of miles they migrate and such. It's pretty impressive. Like, so I think like Northern Hemisphere, the typical ones are from Alaska down to Hawaii or along the tropical waters. And I've seen those ones in Hawaii whenever I go which has been a few times. And then you get the few passerbys that come in through here as well, which is really exciting. And then I saw the ones in Australia too that go down to Antarctica mm -hmm. and then come cool. up to Australian waters. Which the is really Northern, cool. Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere ones. They meet in the middle and then they... <laughs> That's something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think my favorite part about them is just how different they look, especially with their flippers and how like we're just trying to figure out why they look different and how they use them compared to, you know, balance of other whales and such. Yeah, um, they have super long flippers. Right. I don't know if you guys saw that video a few years ago where they just found out they kind of flap them underwater sometimes, like a bird, to help like propel really quickly. Really? There's some research on that when they were feeding. So they're actually like, like going like that and then going like... Yeah, they have it. I can find the video later, but a researcher out of Stanford saw they were feeding and would like propel themselves really fast with their flippers. Whoa. And just do a quick lunge. Or help slow down too. Yeah. But you know, you don't really see that in other whales besides control and balance. But well, again, comparatively, most other whales and dolphins have rather stiff. <laughs> stiff and short <laughs> short arms. Short right. Compared to the very long flippers of the humpback. Right. But just that and the intelligence of them too is really interesting to me. We're starting to learn a little bit more about them as they regain their population after we decimated it. <laughs> right. Which is true um, of most of these whales. Yes, right. true. It's a really curious, which is really interesting to me, the potential of altruism. Have you seen that? Mm. Where they have habitually disrupted orca whale kills or attacks. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, from, what, from ones that are not, as far as they know, not related to, and sometimes different species, right? They'll, they'll protect right. like, another right. species from it being there attacked. Is. Yeah, there's that video of one of them carrying a seal away on its belly. Oh, right. Yeah. You will live another day. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but yeah, just, I don't know. That seems weird to me that they would risk their own lives for other things. It's probably just, what if it's a calf or something like that, that they're attacking, but. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, the, the altruism in marine mammals is, I mean, in anything, altruism is hard to find generally, right. um, but they have seen it in a few species. And I, I think, I mean, they've, they've had instances of other species, marine mammal species helping individuals that they aren't related to, right. but how you, whether you can call that pure altruism or not is the debate right, that always goes on. Right. Maybe well, there's some other reason that they benefited from it somehow. That's right. the thing. It's just a theory, yeah. But right. you know. still cool though. Either I mean, way, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, and even if it is altruism, like it's one of those things where we could never un you know, we may never understand why even if it is pure altruism, we may never even understand why they're doing it. You know what I mean? So it's it's one of those things right. where it's such an open-ended question because we can only look at it as humans. We don't know all the costs and benefits that they're actually you know incurring in the marine mammal world although we can guess at quite a lot of them but well and you know like the risks that they take whether yeah. they're feet foraging or doing that like maybe the risk isn't that much for them but we think it is because they're going in the middle of a predator thing but for right, them right. it's like oh it really wasn't yeah. a big deal guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> that might want to see too is their bubble net feeding oh i do too yes. that's on my bucket list mm -hmm. yeah that's that's really impressive to me how they figured that out is that only so, the northern hemisphere or that southern hemisphere too? I was just going to ask you. I've, I've only ever I've only ever heard about it from northern. like up in Alaska, really. Right. But yeah, um, I don't know a ton about the southern hemisphere animals except for their their the changes in their song as they migrate. Right, and um, they all have different dialects and. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's the thing with the um, the song too, which probably my most favorite thing about the humpback whale is that they have these songs but they all sing this in a certain region they all sing the same song and then somebody changes the words and next year on part of it not even on the whole thing usually on right just like a little it. section yeah. of it they're like oh, that, you know this is a little bit better and then everybody learns it yeah and they yeah. that. it's crazy and then by the next year they're singing like the new line to the song yeah so it's, cool and and these are like hundreds of miles apart these whales that are all singing the same song every year Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the first ones that showed more of a um, solidified that culture could really be applied to other species besides humans and stuff, and, and particularly marine yeah. mammals, um, because it's definitely a song. You can see the repeated measures and all that kind of stuff and yeah. how it changes in their kind of thing. So other intelligence is so interesting to me. It's hard to gauge and measure, but yeah. 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 Well, the thing, but I mean, like, it's obviously there. That's the thing, you know, that's right. the cool part. Right. And a lot, a lot of tests are based off of human intelligence and, you know, how do we compare that with other animals? Mm -hmm. So that one of my favorite cartoons that I share this with a lot of my students um, is it's a far side cartoon and it's got a captive dolphin and these scientists and they're all writing, you know, there's one by the tank and the guy writing it down and he's like, he's got, he's got all these Spanish phrases on the board and it's going, we're getting another one of those que habla espanol sounds. And so it's like, they're like, wow, this is, I don't know what's going on. And they're just speaking, you know, language they're not trying to, they're not saying that they're speaking, but it's one that they would know. But it, it just goes to show that like, yeah, we're expecting them to speak something like us or to act right. like us because that's what we know. Mm -hmm. But it, that's not how it is. Their intelligence is going to be very different than ours because they're in a very different world. Right. So, and it's interesting to me that even at this point in history, like we still kind of associate them being able to replicate human actions or speech as intelligence. Right. You know, it's really interesting where even, you know, we, we all know at this point that 
there's so much that they do that you know is is way far you know way more intelligent than us in their context but yeah it's just it's always been really interesting to me that we still are like wow they understand this human word they must be super intelligent it's like like well, well they are because they, they can't do that that's pretty impressive but it doesn't mean that everybody else isn't also intelligent because yeah. they right. can't do that right like, <laughs> the, um, the, I was just reading a really good book uh, by Franz DeWald, the famous primatologist, called oh, yeah, Are We Smart Enough to Think About, to, Are We Smart Enough to Know How Smart Animals Are? Hey, do you oh, have it there? Yeah, yeah. Wow. it is a really good book, and it, it discusses it this good. whole thing, like how do we assess how smart an animal is? How do we assess a humpback whale's intelligence? We can't keep them in captivity, contrary to belief of the Star, Star Trek movie, where <laughs> they were able to keep a humpback whale in captivity, not gonna happen um but great movie by the way um but you know there's just we have to figure out how we can uh, uh, assess it and also what it means right mm -hmm. like which is right. so difficult because again we're confined by our own intelligence and what that looks like to us you know so it's yeah it's such well, a difficult question the one example in there because he's a primatologist is a lot of primate stuff and they were they gave chimpanzees people pictures mm -hmm. and they couldn't the chimpanzees couldn't tell the humans apart they weren't very good at it and they're like oh well they can't do self-recognition they must be stupid yeah they really must be stupid right <laughs> and then somebody's like why don't we tell them why don't we give them pictures of chimpanzees and we're like well we can't tell chimpanzees apart they're all look the same but they could tell the chimpanzees apart super easily so it's just the matter of getting them the right test to right. show that they can do a certain task yeah it's interesting. So do we want to touch on for each of our each of our citations, do we want to touch on like maybe some of the threats that are facing them or some of the similarities that they have? Well, that's a good idea. I mean, I think all of them. Um, I think we all have similar threats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially well, the Arctic ones, you know, the climate change is yeah. a huge one for the for the Arctic because yeah. they need sea ice, they need all that stuff that goes in the ecosystem and the coldest places are going to be hit hardest by global warming that's mm -hmm. just what so that's and that's one of the other things is they do um it's not just linked to you know them being at the top of the food web either it's also their predators and how they interact with their predators so for example like with the belugas if if the sea ice is breaking up they have less ability to escape from say a polar bear or something and the polar bears are going hungry because the sea ice is receding so right. they're more likely to start on those yep. larger animals that could potentially get trapped up there or don't have the cover of sea ice in the way that they would normally um so it's again it's not just about them struggling because their food is is moving or shifting it's also the animals that would prey on them too and we, we've seen in other places where you know they always talk about bottom-up stuff but you take away a top predator and it can completely collapse an ecosystem so you yeah. know it's not just that the prey is gone if something happens to the beluga or the or the polar bear it can throw the whole thing out of whack Mm -hmm. um, and also one of the biggest things too is in terms of the climate change thing as well is also that because the especially the animals that live in the high arctic like i said i mean they have such a huge amount of blubber that's where a lot of the toxins get stored in mm -hmm. any animal's mm -hmm. body you typically your body will process it and store it in the fat um, reserves and so if right. they get to the point where they're hungry similar to what's happening with the orcas here you know if they get hungry they have to start metabolizing that fat store and then they're basically getting dosed with toxins that they've accumulated over the years every time they're using those fat stores so that's also the blue are 
they were actually thought to be the most um, toxic animal in the world, and then they realized that the male killer whales in this area were actually more toxic. Oh, are they? Because, yeah, right. I'd always heard that the, the St. Lawrence, basically, is the one of the most polluted places there, and, I think and they would actually I, use their bodies as toxic waste. They would treat it Yeah, I'd have to double-check that. I know there was a study that came out where they were basically like, ah, uh, the male southern residents are actually slightly more toxic per, like, per, for their size. Um, but right. I'd have to double check that because I think there's been more studies close. done on that in the last couple of years. Yeah, because um, the males also don't offload their stuff to the to the babies as the females correct. do, so that over right. time they're going to accumulate more. Yeah, but yeah, so that's another big thing to do with climate change. If their food starts to shift and they do start to go hungry, they are also going to start to suffer issues from toxic. Right, because you, you start to metabolize the fat that has all the, the yeah. stuff in it. Yeah. Um, the other one, uh, noise. No, uh, so I, maybe Trevor can talk more about this one too, especially with the humpbacks. Um, mm. I mean, all, all marine mammals are have issues with vessel, like vessel noise, and the, we're very noisy neighbors in the ocean. <laughs> um, yeah, just that disrupts communication, which obviously disrupts meeting for mating and gathering and socializing and all that. Yeah, imagine if you could hear a song thirty miles away, and now all of a sudden you can only hear it five miles away. Well, it's that, yeah. <laughs> Especially in the Puget Sound where all the ships are just channeled into one spot. Right. 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 The other thing too is just again kind of going back to that cultural concept of the song because especially for humpbacks it is such a such a component of their cultural heritage and also how they um, maintain sociality. Like you said if you're limiting that to you know as as a lot of us are kind of finding now like oh you can only talk to these people because they live here or they're you know they're closer to you. Right. Right. Um, that becomes more and more of a problem for them in terms of their culture too, and and who knows what ramifications that has on their behavior. Mm -hmm. And finding food is another one of the big yeah. ones. Absolutely, yeah. yeah um, major threat too is entanglement and boat strikes for humpbacks, particularly. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely for more for humpbacks than the other two, yeah. but I mean, it's always a problem. But just crab pots and fishing nets and such, and yeah. So what happens, they oftentimes, if they'll get them wrapped around their flukes, and so uh, the way I do the analogy is like if I put a, you know, 20-pound weight on a chain and put it on your legs, how long could you run? How long could you walk before you eventually right. just get tired? And so that's what yeah. it's just increasing that drag that it, even if they can swim with it, it's going to cause them to be tired very quickly, and they're not going to be able to feed, and then they get more tired and more sick, and then just not good. Um, anything else? Those are, the, those are the main ones. Hunting, luckily, not so much around here. There are still some places that hunt. Hunting, like you already mentioned, Trevor, like hunting the, all of those species have been, you know, the narwhal and the beluga are still to some degree. Um, I'm not sure if the humpbacks are, are they still hunted by certain tribes? Um, I know the greys are think, a little I bit. I think some of them are, they're allowed a certain take, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah depending uh, on the tribe. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Because yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly, I think, was more of a problem back in the day of whaling, obviously, but... Um, yeah, there's still other, other countries still. That, that still whale, but yeah. um, it's yeah. definitely much better than it was. Yeah, and like, like said, you said, like, Trevor, I mean, that, that literally decimated the population of particularly humpbacks. But they're a pretty good poster child for recovery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and again, that's a, in the Salish Sea where we, we, we are, the humpbacks have, have rebounded and they're coming back more and more every year. Right. And we're now just realizing like, oh, they used to be here. Right. Yeah, well, and then the population got decimated. And we were thinking like, wow, this is new. I'm like, no, no, this is yeah, where they should have been. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> which is, which is super encouraging. Five or something like that, that would come in. And now it was like 
maybe a little more than that, but now there's like at least 60 or 70 or whatever. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's like a, a yeah, lot. quite a few yeah. more. So yeah, like you're right, it is good to show it to, as a poster, like you said, a poster child where if you do protections, they can come back. <laughs> Just takes them a while because they are longer lived animals, so. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, do we want to start with that? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I'm still going to go with Narwhal being super awesome because it has a horn. I mean, I'm just going to say they're all super awesome, but I think I think we should have people write in and tell us what their favorite one is. Oh, I think that's a great idea. idea. Yeah. So they can uh, comment on the um, on the in the comments below. Oh, you can tell us which one, which <laughs> one you think, or email us too. Um, either way, let us know what you, you, what you guys think is the, uh, the coolest one and maybe why. We give a, a short reason why you think it is because let's face it, all marine mammals are super awesome. They all have a, some cool thing about them. Um, so it's hard, it's hard to pick, but it's fun to Yeah, and this them. was actually like, it sounded like a great idea to do this. And we're like, oh man, that's a really hard question. Like, I don't, I don't, they're all my favorite. Like, how do I choose a favorite? <laughs> Someone did that at the end of one of my presentations. They're like, what's your favorite marine mammal? I'm like, oh, uh, um. <laughs> I had to choose one with fins <laughs> <laughs> one with flippers or fins you know one of those <laughs> like it's like what's your favorite day the one that ends in day yeah right yeah <laughs> cool all right well be sure to we're going to do some more of these and highlight some other marine mammals as we go um and so keep a look out for that on the youtube channel and yep. please write in the comments which ones you like and um and which yeah let us know if like there's the other other videos that you want us to do too like if there's other stuff that you guys want to hear about or um anything else that you would find fun for to you know to do with kids at home or just something to distract yourself with <laughs> yeah let us give, know give us ideas we'll love to discuss we can discuss many things yeah so thanks for thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time or actually you'll see us next time <laughs> <laughs> bye bye this was brought to you by pacific mammal research a 501c3 nonprofit organization each species we discuss has their own write-up in our blog head to our website www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M.org, to check it out. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks!